You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Impression taking has been described as an art that requires capturing the exact dimensions of the preparation, soft tissue, architecture of margins of the preparation, and the relationship of the prepared teeth to the surrounding dentition. Even the most experienced clinician can find impression taking to be daunting, frustrating, or difficult to perfect at times. Today, we'll be talking with Shannon Pace Brinker about how to master this procedure. Shannon is a certified dental assistant with over 25 years of clinical experience and continues to work for Dr. Robert Corman in Virginia Beach, Virginia. In addition to being a national and international speaker, she's a regular speaker on VivaLearning.com, and she's the author of over 300 articles for various publications. Shannon, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so this topic is very, very relevant. Um, I know years ago, the pundits were saying that in five years, in fact, five years ago, they were saying five years from then, we'd not even have impression material. Everything's going to be scanned and we won't even be using any type of traditional impression material that we're, we're going to be talking about today. But the fact is 75% of dentists are still using traditional impression material. So this topic is still very relevant and we're really happy to have you discuss it with us today. So my first question is, how do you decide which impression materials to use and tell us why? Well, um, I think, you know, again, when we think about the changes and what we're seeing in the marketplace, um, alginate, uh, and we can start with that, um, it, it was really, it's, it's, it's such a, um, I guess, a inexpensive material, but what we're finding is that uh, as we switch to these polyvinyls, um, we're getting, we're having something, first of all, that we can fall back on for our provisionals, um, and a lot of practices are going to everything polyvinyl now, um, just for this very reason. So um, I think that, you know, looking at the impression materials that are out there, uh, there's reasons to use certain ones. And I always say that it's a lot easier for us to have an impression that we can uh, pour multiple times and that we can always think about the next treatment for that patient. And um, for me, alginate is not that answer. And so in a lot of our teachings now, what we're finding is, is that this is what we're doing is we're, we're really looking at polyvinyls to be the answer for just about every procedure when it comes to impressioning. Okay, and, and the, the dentist obviously has a lot of choices in polyvinyls. There's a lot out there, correct? Absolutely, there is. Um, and, and one of the things that we know now is this, there's, there's different reasons, depending on uh, the properties that that doctor is looking for and team, uh, whether it's, you know, hydrophobic, hydrophilic. Uh, and now we have, uh, you know, new materials that are hydroactive, which is the ones that I love, the ones that when you place in the patient's mouth, the timing is accelerated and we don't have to worry about the teeth being as dry as we normally would. And it's tough when you're training a team member, you know, it's tough when you're training an assistant or even a hygienist nowadays, uh, because we're so used to that alginate technique, you know, how we place it uh, and, and making sure that, you know, everything is nice and dry. And so, you know, transferring over, there's a lot of different uh, techniques and it's, it's sensitive. So now, really important to understand. For study models though, are we still not using alginate? Um, no, we're not. We're no longer using alginate, you know, and, and again, it's not to poo-poo the, the alginates that are out there. I mean, that that was really, uh, you know, what we use and most practices use just, you know, for affordability, right? But what we find is, is that, you know, if we go to a polyvinyl, we're looking at only about 40 cent more an impression. 
but it allows us to have a more accurate detail, but also being able to think about what is next because we want to, you know, think about that patient and what they're going through. You know, if we use an alginate, we always tell patients, hey, we're going to have to take a series of impressions. The beauty of switching up not only 40 cent more impression, but you're you've got something that you can report multiple times. And we just feel that the accuracy, I mean, even today, we still mount models, we still take face bows, we still go through a lot of things, even though we have a digital scanner, it just allows us to have that um, security, but most importantly, having something that can follow that patient, uh, even if we're just doing whitening, because the ultimate goal is for us to think about the other procedures going down the line and being able to go back to that impression, um, you know, with that kind of detail is important. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so how can the clinician get predictable and accurate results on that first impression? Because that first attempt is so important. Uh, I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, the techniques as a team member and even for a doctor, you know, we're so used to doing, I call it a bowling technique, you know, kind of roll the impression in just like we would with an alginate. But with polyvinyls, they're sensitive. And we think about this, I think, as if, if I were a dentist and what we're seeing is the team member has to understand why those impressions are bad. You know, you can't just tell us, hey, go retake it. We have to know why is it bad and how did that happen? And so for us, you know, with polyvinyls, it makes so much sense to explain it like this. When we get the impression in the mouth, you can't let the teeth touch it at all. If the teeth, you know, just barely touch the polyvinyl material, you're going to get a drag, you're going to get a scrape, but you've got to train the team, first of all, positioning where the patient is and how to insert the tray is, is the most critical piece because it's got to get in the mouth and it's got to come straight up if it's a maxillary impression. It's got to get in the mouth and come straight down if it's a mandibular impression. It cannot touch going in. And that's really the secret to having a great impression is, first of all, having a good material. But second of all, training your team how to insert the tray because we're not thinking if it touches the cuss tip, I'm going to get a drag and training them on why that impression is bad because most dentists will say, retake it. You retake it. And I know that because of all the years of working for doctors that that's what they would tell me. Uh, it was actually my lab technician friends that said, this is why you got a bubble. This is why you got a scrape. This is why there's a drag. Um, so they have to understand the why. Why did that happen? Mm -hmm. No, that's really important. So as far as tissue management, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is about hemostasis. Tell us a little bit about hemostasis control and why is that needed to achieve an accurate final impression? You know, uh, Phil, I will tell you, I'm, I'm right now in provisionals. I've had multiple, multiple restorations from for my own self, just going through um, uh, being in a car wreck and over the years having, you know, restorative work done. And when I think about my friends in the lab and I encourage team members and dentists who are listening to this podcast, get your assistance into that lab because that lab is going to show us things that we have never seen before. And I have to give so much credit uh, to, you know, Bayview Dental Lab and, uh, and Blue Crane Lab here in Virginia. I mean, I've spent so much time with them really understanding how important it is to get that tissue retracted and out of the way. And now, you know, we've, we've had electrosurge. We see a lot of laser um, therapy out there. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, we've got the paste, we've got cord. But um, I, I will say that there is nothing better than placing, you know, cord around that tooth and being able to push that tissue out of the way and really have an understanding of the chemicals that we're using and why, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And again, my, my doctor has a laser. Uh, we have putty. We have the paste. We have electrosurge and we have cord. But we find ourselves you have to have more than just one type of way to control that hemostasis. And 
Um, it's so important for the lab. You, you can't get mad at the lab for that final restoration if you did not have that control. And that is with everything that we do. And we just find that, you know, working with whether it's aluminum chloride or ferric sulfate, which we've got to be careful, but the team also needs to know those chemicals and that scientific makeup. When we're teaching courses, we ask them, hey, do you know the difference between these two? They don't. Mm-hmm. And, and that's concerning. So I think just understanding why we're using it, but most importantly, the chemicals that are out there and what is going to give you the best retraction for that you know, particular procedure, because it's not a one size fits all. Right. So how, how do you, just out of curiosity, determine whether a laser is appropriate or just cord or the paste? Because I know we had a really wonderful podcast series by Dr. Scott Benjamin on dental lasers, quite often uses a laser to um, handle tissue management for his impressions, if not all the time. So just it's nice to hear a different um, perspective from from your point of view. When is a laser appropriate and how do you determine what you should be using for tissue management? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I will say that in my own case, um, I know that if my margins were subgingival, it's really hard to get that tissue out of the way. One of the things that we see when we're when we, you know, watching uh, you know, clinicians pack cord is I think they don't understand that it's not the depth of the cord. It's the width of how far out we can push that tissue. And that is something that you really cannot get with a laser is moving the tissue out of the way. We can remove the tissue, but we don't have that width on certain preps. And so I think it has to go with the, you know, how the teeth are being prepared. You know, if we're doing really simple veneers and we just need to retract just a little bit, we may just use the laser. But when we've got subgingival margins, we have to get that tissue out of the way. And we're just finding, I think, that uh, when there's areas that we can use the laser, we will. But we you know, seem to fall back a lot of times on the cord. And even our lab says, you know what, we love what you guys are giving us. And, and I just think, you know, getting that width and pushing that tissue out is not something that we really see a lot of times with the laser. So it really depends on the area of the mouth and um, most importantly, how much sulcus depth we sulcus depth we have. Yeah. And so hemostasis is obviously built into those pace. They have hemostatic agents inside the paste that you're um, applying to the sulcus? Yes, we, we tend to find fall back, I think, on, um, you know, our uh, aluminum chloride. It's really important for, I think, the team to understand what is the final restoration, because that plays a huge part in, like, the hemostasis control that we're doing, depending on how fast, if it's a, you know, for doing a CEREC, you know, you, you want to make sure you know if we're going to mill it that day and cement it that day, what was the hemostasis control solution that we were using with ferric sulfate, you know, it leaves dark um, staining behind and we don't want to bond to that. Uh, The other thing is, is that, but we need that control because the chemical is so strong. But when we think about aluminum chloride, we're always safe. And uh, one of the things that we see a lot of times is even at the delivery, if the patient has not had a good way to take care of the tissue, you know, it looks like ground up hamburger meat underneath there. So we really Mm -hmm. don't have a choice but to use, a chemical and um, and it's really, really important to make sure that you know those chemical choices, because if you just reach out and grab a, a ferric sulfate on that delivery and then you bond that restoration, I can almost guarantee it because I already know that I've seen it and it's happened to us is uh, underneath that veneer, it started to turn dark. And after a few weeks, the patient will come back and say, hey, what's this dark area here? So you got to know what's the final restoration and your chemicals, you know, things that have a coping or uh, have metal, you're, you're home free, you know, but for right, those areas right. and things like that, the team needs to understand that, you know, ferric sulfate is great, but we need to know what that final restoration is. Going yeah, to no, like. that's excellent. Um, so uh, you're, you're working in Virginia as you have for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Are there state um, requirements as far as who's uh, allowed to, based on the, the laws of the, of the land of that state 
to take impressions. So I know you're a certified dental assistant. Are all CDAs in every state allowed to take impressions as you are, or is that state by state? Well, a CDA basically qualifies me to take impressions, but they're preliminary impressions. They're not final impressions. Um, those states, if, if you're an EFTA, Expanded Function Restorative Assistant, mm-hmm. uh, we are allowed to do that. And Virginia just passed that, and I'm actually hopefully getting mine in November. Um, but I feel like, you know, it, it, we're seeing it more and more. Uh, states that are allowing their assistance and, and having uh, that license for us to be able to uh, not just pack cord and control the tissue, but being able to take these final impressions. And uh, so we're seeing a lot of the laws for our dental assistants totally changing and growing and expanding. And uh, we're, we're so excited about this, you know, because yeah, we can sure. do it. You know, we, we, we can, we sit beside our doctor all day long, you know, and, and I think it's time. And uh, uh, for us to be able to, to do this, yes, more and more. I think right now there's about 28 states that have that certification. And uh, I always encourage assistants, find out if you've got it. And it is so worth it to go and get that certification because the, right now I think it's only 10% of the population of assistants in the U.S. And there's like 340,000 of us that are not certified. I mean, not certified. And, mm-hmm. and for the dentists who are listening, get your assistant certified, you know, it's it's just a first of all I'm doing it for me, but most importantly I'm doing it to be able to do these expanded functions and to be able to do it right. Going to take the exam and and having you know a, a way to be able to help my doctor be profitable. You know comes back right. to these areas. So I think thank you for bringing that up and it's really important. But boy I, I can't wait. I mean I'm so excited. I would love to take a final impression. I really want to help my practice and. Getting certified is the way to do that. Okay, so now what about scanning? Does that same eligibility apply to running a scanner across the teeth and, and creating well, a digital impression? <laughs> I could tell you, Phil, that, that's a gray area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the laws that are in place, they're kind of old school laws. Uh, I would say that. Hopefully, uh, no one's, uh, you know, going to come after me for that. But <laughs> we, we are it. allowed to scan. You know, we, we, we are. I mean, and, and, and I would tell you, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I don't scan. I do. But my doctor has to approve it, right? I mean, we, we do the preoperative scans and there's, you know, we, we take the final scans with the CEREC and we also have uh, an iTero that we're using. So I will tell you that, you know, my doctor always checks. He's always looking because he's the final say so. But for scanning, the laws are different. You know, mm-hmm. we're able to kind of bend the rules a little bit. And I'm sure eventually they'll have some you know, some, uh, some harder uh, laws for that. But right now it's kind of a free for all. Uh, wow. And I hate to say that. So, yeah. <laughs> but again, you're hoping that the doctor's looking at those scans. Right, making sure right. they're correct. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure they are. They're the ones that have to fit the final restoration and explain to the Absolutely. patient why, why it may not fit so well. So uh, I'm sure they're looking at it. And as far as design, I know we're talking about traditional materials, but as far as designing the digital final restoration, is that something CDAs do or, or is yeah, that strictly I mean, on the dentist side? Oh, no, no. I mean, so you see the CDD after my name. Uh, it's a certified di- digital designer. Mm. And uh, I took uh, several courses with E4D. I actually helped them develop that um, that certificate. Um, so I basically design and I have both. I, I, I've worked with CEREC, but I have an E4D. And um, and I think that's a, it's a great certification. But what that does is it allows me because I've taken these courses to be able to design restorations. And now with these digital printers coming out, uh, now we're, we're getting ready to get a printer, you know, where I can not only just design, but now we can print these models and we're going to be able to, you know, fabricate aligners and we make night guards and we'll make sleep appliances and surgical guides. And so 
that whole designer piece, I think, is so important to think about the digital workflow, not just having a scanner and training your assistant to have ownership of that is something that I know we'll see more and more of. And it's a we were at Serona World here just a few weeks ago, and uh, that's a big hype, you know, for assistants is for us to own that that uh, that scan, but also, you know, doing the designs. But that assistant really has to know anatomy. We can't just always depend on the unit to do that. So really encourage, you know, again, it goes back to that certification, right? Knowing, you know, anatomy and how the tooth really should be shaped, but also knowing a little bit about occlusion too. But we're doing the designing, Phil. I mean, we're, we're doing the scanning and the yeah. designing, the milling, the staining, the glazing. Wow. And the, uh, I'll tell you something, the manufacturers want this. The more the assistants could do, the more they're going to be able to get into the dental offices with their equipment because it's a productivity, you know, issue. I mean, you're going to free up the dentist to do, to do other things that are going to be productive. And um, it's to, to be able to delegate these these tasks over to competent people like you in the office where they're they're not a dentist is an amazing thing for the practice. Absolutely. The, the profit, profitability side, you know, what is sad to me is when we see, and I know this because I, I do a lot of training for iTero, is that, um, you know, the scanner is in the corner. Nobody's using it. And it's like, this was such an investment for the practice. It makes me sad. And it's the same for CERT machines and also E4Ds. You know, if you don't get a team member, and we say this, if you don't train that assistant to be able to do those scans and own it, um, you know, we're, we're developing job descriptions now, you know, let's, you know, get that team because the doctor will go out and buy this equipment and spend, you know, $100,000 on all of this technology and it sits in a corner and makes me sad, but the dentist cannot do it. In order to be profitable, you've got to train that assistant to be able to take ownership. And if you've got multiple, like our practice, multiple ways of technology, you know, assign one assistant, give them the job description and let them own it. But, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes just letting go is hard, you right. know, but that's, we can do it and we've anything. got the time. Yeah. yeah. Assigning accountability with any business is how it works. Someone's got to own it. Someone's got to stay after it and, and, and make sure that it's being used in the practice and that it makes a difference, not only on the clinical outcomes, but on the bottom line for that practice revenue wise. Um, yeah, this has been great information. And uh, we got a little bit off track off of traditional impression materials. But that, just my last question before we wrap up the podcast, do you anticipate in the next five years, a major shift out of traditional materials? Uh, you know, no, I, I don't. Um, I'll tell you what I what I uh, am really seeing and, and exciting to come are these, you know, a, a new scanner. And, and I'll just mention this from Colzer that's coming out, uh, the Kara scanner uh, for those doctors that are scared. And we still see this, you know, they, they're not really all in yet mm -hmm. with, you know, the Itero and the, you know, all, and the, um, you know, the, the scanners from 3M, the, the three shape from uh, Strawman and uh, the trios is that um, having an ability to have a different type of scanner um, coming out with the Kara-Scan uh, that we just saw, where you can take a, a, a you know, a, an impression, put it in this scanner, and still have something that can go right away to the lab is something that's really exciting. So they're going to have something for everyone. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see it really jump up as much as what, um, you know, the hype is right now uh, in five years. I just don't see it. I think we're still going to have doctors that still like that control and still feel that the most quality way of getting that information to the lab is through traditional impression materials. Um, I, I just don't see it changing that much. Right, so, so, the, so the interim solution would be that scannable material that you mentioned that, that Kohl's or so. Is yeah. that, are you talking about FlexiTime? Yeah. Well, they have a FlexiTime Fast and Scan, and so that's their impression material. And basically you would 
take a regular impression and you place it into the CareScan, whether you, if you have it in your practice or also they're going to be distributing to the labs, but I can place that into the CareScan and hit send. And in six minutes, that impression is sent straight to my lab. Mm-hmm. And that to me is exciting as well, because not only now, if these practices and doctors are not comfortable yet, there's a middle of the road, right, you know, right. so I think that is what we're going to see probably having some uh, competition here out in the field, you know, with these scanners. But the bottom line, again, goes back to what we talked about is if the team is all in and they understand how you know excited this is and how exciting it can be. And the doctor, you know, getting that team member trained on this technology is really the answer. And, and, and having assistants feel like this is something they can do on their own and really own it and do really well with it and exciting uh, time for us as assistants, I think that's really the way to go. And doctor really needs to be looking at that. Fantastic information. Thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us on this hey, podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we hope we'll actually, we have you scheduled for a few more the, uh, coming up. So uh, we look forward to that. Thank you so much. Oh gosh. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. <laughs>